Welcome to Season 2 of Conscious Conversations, where we aim to inspire deep and meaningful interactions that grow into a community of practice that is committed to healing, resilience and expansion. In this season, our focus is on Africa, the fountain of humanity, the Great Mother Africa, a land research is increasingly confirming to be home of the first humans to evolve. Research also confirms that early humans migrated out of Africa into Asia about 2 million years ago and into Europe about 1.5 million years ago. The long and short of it, Africa is where it started. In this season's Conscious Conversations, we speak with spiritual teachers and thought leaders about the ways in which we can unearth the wisdom of the old that calls us back to listen, learn, remember, restore and heal. I am Mabato Munzi. Welcome. Family in Africa is the heart of community an institution built on the complexity and connection to a larger group, a wider family, where individual and common identities are formed. An African family traditionally was formed on the basis of communal living, where one was assigned distinct roles at various stages of life based on age, gender, abilities, strengths and life cycle where parents, grandparents and other members within the family pass down family rituals, traditions and beliefs about ancestors, spirits and God. Due to industrialization, urbanization and globalization, family life for Africans has drastically changed, leaving an obvious and notable vacuum within African family structures. In this conversation, we speak to Dr. Bababuntu about the nexus between African family structures and spirituality. Through this conversation, we aim to discover the ways in which the disintegration of African family structures have had an impact on the holistic well-being of black people and identify ways in which this can be remedied. Dr. Bababuntu is a community scholar and decolonial practitioner. He is also the founding director of Ebukosini Solutions, a people-centered company specializing in African-centered education. As a pan-African educator, writer, researcher, mentor, and counselor, Bababuntu has more than 30 years of experience in conceptualizing and implementing programs on cultural literacy, social justice, innovative entrepreneurship, youth empowerment, and indigenous knowledge, particularly suited for African applicability. Dr. Buntu's areas of expertise include research, training, facilitation, counseling, therapeutic processes, and curriculum development. In 2010, he initiated the Shabaka Men of Africa, a platform for an activity-based mentoring of black men in a process of self-knowledge, restoration, and empowering their role within the African family and community. He mentors young emerging leaders and has designed, trained the trainer programs for entrepreneurs and community organizations. 
based in South Africa and working across the different provinces of the country, Bababuntu has had several international working engagements in parts of Africa, Europe and the Americas. His articles have appeared in academic journals and anthologies published in South Africa, Namibia, Nigeria, Norway, UK and the USA. He holds a doctoral and master's degree in philosophy of education from UNISA. Good afternoon, Dr. Bababuntu. How are you? Good afternoon, Togozagoguno. I'm very, very good and I'm so honored to be on the Consciousness uh, Conversation podcast. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, you have had a very interesting career um, and I think just your contribution to the development of knowledge around African systems, you know, around education, around just African ways of being have been phenomenal. I've recently started following your 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 journey, um, your path, the work that you have done. And it's been really inspiring to get to understand some of these narratives or or concepts, you know, um, from an older brother who has done a lot of work, both from a practical and um, I think from a literature, from a scientific perspective, one of the things I think is so important for our liberation uh, to publish more work, to do more research in some of these areas. So please just tell us a bit more about your journey. What has led you to this place? Thank you so much. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a, a long journey and a, a difficult one at that, but also one that I really, really appreciate. So my family background is from Anguilla in the Caribbean. Uh, my, my family comes from there and they are from there or we are from there because uh, our family were kidnapped out of the continent of Africa uh, during uh, the time we call enslavement of African people. Um, and I think what many people on the continent sometimes forget or may not be so much informed about is that African knowledge and African practices live very lively in the Caribbean. Um, I'm from an island called Anguilla. Uh, it's, it's very small, but it, it, in its connection with many other islands and aspects of the Caribbean, I think my my um my thirst for more african knowledge and my understanding of african identity and culture it grew out of that um consciousness that i already was able to tap into there and uh, i also had the fortunate opportunity to grow up in in a few parts of the world where i was introduced to many different african communities meaning different nationalities different languages different ways of being african and even you know because some of us come to this knowledge today because we read or because we meet people through academia or because we uh, we, we 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 search it very consciously but i think i came to it more culturally than politically i was very politically aware about injustice in the world but I was raised by many African elders from different parts of the African world who taught me humility, who taught me respect, who taught me um, the practice of being an African. And I think that's 
when when I then was introduced to South Africa in 1993 uh, and I spent some time there, I think uh, my ancestors were just welcoming me home and it uh, became my 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 home country and and i wanted to be based on the continent and i think that's just very significant and through that journey um settling in in south africa uh, or, or returning to africa more than 30 years ago um it also led me on a deeper path into getting to know more uh, being able to learn more and most most significantly uh, to practice more because being African is a practice. It's not just a thought or a book or a moment. It's a life journey. Mm. I like that you say that because I, for myself, I recently realized um, that part of personal healing as a black person, um, for it to be effectively done, requires the decolonization of self as a personal journey. So true. And I think if I can just say something about that, I think um, many people struggle with what that even means, because first of all, decoloniality may sound like an academic project uh, and, and a, a, a construction of thought, which, of course, has something to do with it as well, because it has to do with how you see the world, how you see us as African people, what it means to be black in this world. But for me, it really starts with the processes of understanding what you have learned and why you have learned it. Why don't you know so much about African culture? Why don't you know so much about other parts of the African continent? And you realize that, oh, this is actually systematic. I'm not supposed to know because there's a world that understands that the more I know and the more I anchor myself in my knowledge, the more of a threat I can become to the world as it presents itself now. And then you start to actually phrase your choices as an opposition to what is expected from you. And that can feel very brutal because it actually is. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a subject, it's a topic that is becoming more and more, um, of a deeper thing unfolding for, for me. Mm. So as you know, you are talking about this, I'm getting so teary because so much, um, so much rests on our ability as Africans to wake up and, and to realize who we are, right? Um, anyway, I think I'm digressing. On today's topic, um, the connection between African family structures and spirituality. We really want to understand what the family structure means um, in the African context. So can you please just take us through what has become your understanding of what family means in the African context? So I think family is a, a contract or a, a bond um, of people who are tied together by blood, by descent, by marriage, by history, by culture, or sometimes also by circumstance. I think this is important also to remember that people become part of families because they travel and they run out of resources and they end up staying somewhere. They are exploring and wanting to find another place to live. This has been our family reality for the longest of times. So this notion that people must stay where they have always been is not necessarily an African understanding of the world at all. Um, but also 
it also adds into the purpose. The purpose is to live together, nurture each other, support each other, and defend each other. Um, so it's it's an understanding of operating in life. So it has many, I could say, economic aspects to it because our agricultural understanding came very much from also that our families were formed around the need to work the land, to understand the the sanctity of, of the soil, understand the cycle of the seasons. And that influenced also as families. And I'm saying that to to remind us that now when we many of us are in urban environments, very technical and high-tech environments, electronic environments, digital environments, we also often move further and further away from the day-to-day spiritual engagement that the trees, the fauna, the, 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 the fields, the soil, the rain is supposed to teach us. So weather becomes something that we just visit or pass by or go through, whether it's actually all those climates and all those experiences of understanding how cycles run in nature are supposed to be our main teachers, also in the space of family. So how to learn how to deal with conflicts, how to understand leadership more as servicing or serving more than dominating, how to understand how the feminine and the masculine works in this dance not just in gender constructs of male and female, but also in a dance of exploration, creation, recreation, and emerging. So for me, family is the highest form, or it's supposed to be the highest form of life. That's where we should take our lessons from. That's what we should seek to honor in everything we say and do. That's what we want to respect. And everywhere we go, we will see ourselves as um voices and representations of families that we look up to and that we don't want to put in any form of shame that's how it's supposed to be i think we know that it's not necessarily how we live right now mm, many of us mm. you know primarily because that is not how we find ourselves living i think many people experience a sense of directionless many people are seeking for something and i don't think many of them can put their fingers on the pulse of what's actually missing in their lives but i've come to understand Mm -hmm. that a family or personal identity forms part of a big part of who we become and how we express and how we show up in the world. Now, for many of us, I was raised by a single mom and part of my work and healing work has been um, healing the parts of me that missed out on my father's family, you know, that that the parts of me that are Mm. broken because the family structure was not the way it was supposed to be. Looking at different literature, even in Western uh, psychology, you get to understand how broken families or the absence of a mother or father, you know, contribute to a person's psychological well-being in South Africa, so many families are broken. Uh, So many young people come from families where the father is not there, where they don't know where they come from, where they've been removed from so much they should know about themselves. How do you think that that affects who we become and how we relate to the world and others? I think it affects us in a devastating way. And 
I know sometimes we get a little bit tired of feeling caught or stuck in the explanation of how it ended up being that way. But I, I, I always want us to say it because what we what happens when we have lived for many generations with very many challenges in our families, um, we internalize them and they become our emotion, they become our brokenness, they become our default place to go to. And we start to experience ourselves as a people who are not capable of keeping the family, capable of, of believing and practicing black love, capable of being good parents. And that is not true. First of all, there are many great families. Let us also say that there are many great parents. There are many great relationships. There are many, many, many people who have uh, the great fortunate uh, experience of looking up to their parents and thinking nothing else than love. It's important to say that too. But of course, way too many have struggled, way too many have experienced brokenness, violations, and disconnection. And we must remember that that is primarily because of a an, an intent to divide us, to crush us, to destroy us, to make us more colonizable meaning that the whole point was to take away our power for those who enslaved, those who invaded, and those who wanted to take us away from, from the continent and from the places that we lived and what we were doing uh, many years ago. And it was a deliberate um research into what is it that makes these people so strong? How do we break them? And finding out that if you break the family, it will probably be easier to dominate uh, these people and extract the, the the great things that they have in their minds and in their soil and in their oceans. Um, so so I always want to say that, and I think we should come with that also into the stories of being parents, being in relationships, um, being within our families. Not because we want to defer the responsibility to some point hundreds of years ago, but because we need to remember how it became so, so that we can also tap into an much deeper memory, which we still carry deep within us, which is about healing and restoration and power and strength together, not over each other, but together. And I think that's the journey that I have been blessed to walk. I have a huge family in this world. And that's very significant for me to say, who started out life having nobody. Mm. So, so, so that experience of forming, connecting, uh, contributing and learning through family is something that is still available. We may have to think of family a little bit different because we live in a different time and we live with different uh, forms of brokenness and, and also how it has affected us. Uh, but it's possible. And what I see a lot, we, we, we are a family. So if I, if I get to explain a little bit about Ebukusini Solutions, mm. which is a company, but it starts with being a home. And part of our leadership development programs has very much been emphasized on having young people coming to stay with us for a year, for two years, sometimes more, sometimes less. And the, the, the significance of that is that the African home is supposed to teach leadership. It's supposed to teach humbleness. It's supposed to teach what what love is, because I think many of us are very confused about even that notion. Mm -hmm. We say it a lot, but we don't really know what it means. How do you receive it? How do you give it? How do you make it a contract that you cannot actually break ever? Um, and we want to, we want to 
hold, what can I say? We, we want to push ourselves and challenge ourselves to live by those principles and not just talk about them, read about them or go to a conference about them, but actually live them on a daily basis. And that is not to say that we are a perfect family, but it is to say that we have been blessed me, me, my wife, and the many sons and daughters of the house, the many elders that are attached to our family, to walk a journey of healing. And, and, and it's not a quick journey. Uh, you, you asked about our psycho, uh, uh, spiritual development and, and impact. I think, you know, I've seen it in my own journey. So that's where it starts. That, that's where it must start from all of us. Let's not go out and try to heal other people before mm. we have sought our own healing. But I think, I've, through the work I've been blessed to be part of, I've also seen so many reflections of myself through the young people that I've been introduced to who, who may have one layer of being quite organized and straightforward and connected. But when you start to peel back the layers, there's so much pain, there's so much brokenness, there's so many unspoken voices within. And I think as African people, one of the things that we really struggle with is how do we honor ourselves? Because when you belong to a people who have been dismissed and, and killed and, 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 and sought to be completely destroyed, it also impacts on how we relate to this people that has been such a threat and such a disgust to the world around us. And we sometimes internalize that and use it against ourselves and those we are supposed to love. Mm. Um, when you talk about remembering or the resonance that we carry um, around, you know, our actual, our natural ways of being as Africans, it, it, it gets me to think about when, when I do my personal healing work, I get to understand, or I've come to understand that I'm also healing my bloodline. I'm also healing my ancestors. And so exactly. in the context of family and us, this generation doing this work, what do you think is the connection between how we can reorganize or revalue our family structures um, and reconnect with our sense of spirituality or our bloodlines? So thank you for what you shared now. I think that's very profound and I agree with you so much. Uh, healing ourselves is also healing uh, the generations we come from, but it's also to plant a new ground to grow from for the generations to come after us. So we bring a stronger sense of being into our bloodline, both when we look back and when we look forward, which is, which is profound. Um, but I think there's a lot of work we need to do at the same time. And that's why it's so confusing. So I have, I, 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 I sit with people who walk a journey and say, now I've walked the journey of my pain and I try not to say it as harshly as I say it now, but often I'm, 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 I'm feeling like I say, no, you haven't even started. <laughs> and you know, when, when you really feel that year you have spent understanding your, your family line and you get this message from this strange man that you haven't even started, it, it, you feel like falling apart and you feel like, is there even more? Do I have to go through more troubles to find the, the essence of life? And I think that's why many of us also avoid it because we, we feel it's so difficult. It challenges us it's it's awkward because we haven't had these conversations we haven't seen our elders have this conversation at least most of us 
So it's, you really need a lot of courage to go into it. And I would say this as a practical note, to start out, try to find out as much as possible, possible just about your family. Like, so ask questions, go and visit the elders, go to places that you've heard that you once lived or that your grandfather came from. Um, and if you can find direct information, that's beautiful. But even if you can't, even if you don't, even if when you, when you get there, they don't remember his name or they don't know which house he stayed and things like that, continue still because like walking in the, in the footsteps of our ancestors is so important. And, you know, just in, in this, if I can just attach this note that comes to my mind as I'm speaking, you know, a couple of years before, before COVID, we started a travel club and we said that, you know, we want to travel to different parts of the African continent and, and, and plan it well. And we still need to resume it. But so we traveled to Uganda and I told the group that we were going with, I said, Let's not say we are going to Uganda. We are visiting Uganda. We are returning to Uganda. We are going back to remember. Because when you go to different parts of where Africans have lived and created incredible civilizations and knowledge systems, you're also there to allow your whole being to sink into the memory of how incredible we were. You, you go and you, 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 sometimes you just, you just remain quiet and just listen with your whole body to voices and, 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 and knowledges and languages and, 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 and observe. Don't even talk a lot. Just allow your inner system to soak up this information that was taken away from you. And as you do that, you feel a very strange sense of power that is difficult to articulate. Because it, it's not that you now got a lot of money. It's not that you can now all of a sudden buy a house. It's not necessarily now you have a, 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 a million a, a income job. But you feel that you can walk as a stronger person. You feel that you can confront those aspects of life that often makes you doubt yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is so significant. And I think that's why it is important to to go into the healing journey, to start with your family line, to start to address some of the things that you know have hurt or upset or, or, or imbalanced you, and then reach out, have that conversation with your, with your child, with your sibling, with your parent, with your aunt, with your uncle. And if you cannot talk to any direct family member, don't just, don't just leave it there and say, I'm the only one in my family who wants to do this. I have nobody to work with. We, 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 you have other people that can give you the incentives or give you the inspiration or give you the courage mm. to do more. Mm. So, so also, also widen up your understanding of what family is. It's not just this little enclave mm. of, of people who are directly related. Mm. We, 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 to some extent, all of us around this continent and in the African world, we, we have a relation and we need to see each other as sisters and brothers and interrelated. Mm. I'm so glad you said it um, because as you're saying it, I'm almost uh, feeling compelled to to also mention that, especially for people who have been called to answer uh, an ancestral 
calling, like to become Sangomas, people tend to think you go to initiation school and then the healing is done. <laughs> but that's like not even a mm. fraction mm. of the work that actually needs Absolutely. to be done. And I'm saying this from my own experience. Um, and I found that what has helped for me, especially in cases where I cannot go speak to living family members, is to go to Msamo mm. and speak about some of these issues with my ancestors, with the people that have called me to to go on this journey and to do this work so um you know in that way i've also felt very supported and very held um you know outside of the community that i've created um around myself um you know in aligning with like-minded people people who are on the same uh, journey and so on we've seen how Males and females or men and women um, have like fought amongst themselves in social media, in mm. in real life. Um, we see just how much families are breaking. We, we see the levels of infidelity. We see the levels of um, gender-based violence. What do you think is the cause of this huge misunderstanding, misalignment mm. between black women and men? Mm. No, thank you for the question. I think it's, it's one that we barely are beginning to answer in some sort of way, but we need to be much more uh, deliberate about it. I think connecting with what I said a little bit earlier about... Um, us losing ourselves and our self-knowledge and our ability to anchor ourselves, um, we then also become enemies of ourselves. So we, we become doubtful, we become insecure, we become self-hating, we become uh, shallow, we become narcissistic, we become all kinds of different things that works against the organic healing, strong self that we're supposed to live because of the world we live in, because of the history we come from. Um, and when we then come together as men and women, we come with so many wounds and we come with so much unfulfillment that what we know best is to engage in conflict, is to suspect, is to interrogate, is to instigate, is to blame, is to um, project my pain onto you so that you should feel even worse than me. Um, even those of us who say we know these things, we still do it to some some extent. And for me, it's clearly because of where we have come from over the last generations, where pain has become such a central experience within the African family and the African individual's life. And we, because we have left and because we have disconnected with that ability to stand as strong warrior beings, which we are supposed to as both men and women, um, we become this uh, quite dangerous and problematic beings that easily engage in hurting each other, easily engage in um, trying to push the boundaries and trying to make other people feel bad. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, speaking as an African man, I think... Uh, you know, manhood in African culture is something that is supposed to be learned. Um, we, we all, we, we all are here to learn, but in African, or in most African cultures, we see a pattern that even if when there are initiation processes for women, there are more initiation processes for men and, and a stronger emphasis that 
to to create and to uh, encourage great and responsible African manhood, the society must come together and guide men from a young age into their responsibilities. And I think because we have been forced to leave so many of our life-giving rituals and ceremonies and learning journeys, um, the brokenness that we that lives within us as African men comes across in a particular way right now because we are we have not been equipped, we have not been taught. We, 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 we walk into this world feeling that we're supposed to know everything, yet very few people have taught us the right way. And then we, all we can do is to drink from the fountain of Western and um, European, Arabic and colonial scripts of what it means to be strong, because that's what we are told, that men are strong. And mm. strong in this world seems to mean to dominate. Mm. It seems to mean to define. It seems to mean to be on top of someone so that somebody must know their place. And you know you you, you know where that script, script often comes out. Mm. And I'm seeing this in some of us as men who are also not necessarily violent. We don't have violent characteristics normally. You may not experience us as dangerous people but when we come into spaces of conflict we realize that we have not been equipped to keep ourselves calm to 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 not let our ego be fractured and 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 explode and we haven't been taught those lessons most of us have actually seen men get away with violent behavior wording and 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 ways of treating women and it seems like society is not that disturbed by it so we, we excuse it, we, we learn it, and we keep, um, maybe we don't all keep practicing it, but at least we don't undo it completely. And I think the response to that is also that the brokenness of manhood also reflects in brokenness of womanhood. So women have also learned over many, over some generations now that men are not trustworthy. Uh, some women now of a younger generation start out thinking that I'm not interested in getting married because I don't want to go through what my mother mm -hmm. went through. I don't want to live like my auntie. I want to have some children, but I'm not even expecting the father to be there because I've seen what my uncles do. I've seen what happens next door. And we start to just kind of normalize that we can't really work together as families and we start to plan around that we start to feel joy around that we go to celebrations like that and we we, we laugh and we have musical scores and we we, we kind of exist uh, uh, with this as as being normal yet when we look back at where we come from this is very far from normal and i think a, a, a huge uh, responsibility lies on the young generation now. And I'm not trying to just point out the young generation and saying that they must, if they must just do all the work because part of why it's difficult is that many of my generation haven't equipped the younger generation or supported the younger generation to find it. But I'm just saying that if we for one or two generations to come continue like we are doing now, it's a very scary future to walk towards because we will actually lose some serious information. We have begun to lose some, we will lose more. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what's going to happen to the future, future, future generation if they stand without any templates other than just accept what those who want to dominate and, and exploit us tell us we must do. Mm. I remember watching a YouTube video and Baba Credo Motwa mentioned that or was explaining that, you know, historically 
men before they would go out you know to either go hunt or to go fight or whatever the case is that they would consult with uh women older women particularly in the in the village um so women played an integral part of leadership and key decision making over the recent years we've seen how there has been this uh, growing thinking to say women are supposed to be in the kitchen and maybe it, it's obviously a, a, a western sort of like thinking you know that that almost puts women in this position of weakness. And I've seen how a lot of uh, black women have taken that on where they are waiting for their knight in shining armor to come and save them and, you know, that kind of narrative. And I don't necessarily think that is how the African women was initially you know i think we were equally powerful and we held important roles in community in our families we were part of the decision making and all of that has been shifted uh to a point where women tend to feel helpless and as a result when one is looking for a partner they're looking for someone who's going to rescue them and make life um in a particular way for them. What What is your thinking around that? Mm. Remember that industrialization, um, as it happened in the West, um, also had that template that it gave men a certain power because they were outside of the house and they earned a, a wage which then the family became dependent on. And then they used that to kind of create a hierarchy of what are important places and important places are places you can dominate from and what are not important places, places of weakness, places of being dominated. And that fell into something that we see very strongly in the rise of the West and, and, and underpinnings of Western values, the fear of strong women, the, the, the boxing of female powers, the, the, even the, the witch hunts that, that uh, Europeans did for a very long time of women who knew more than men, women who were more intelligent, women who had sacred knowledge, they needed to be killed and burnt. And that's what happened. And us being a continent that uh, were invaded by a people who be, had become in, industrialized and kept being industrialized and then imposed their own understanding of life, economy, domination, politics and leadership, which then also had an effect on the, on, on the family life. So the family and the household changed completely from what it was before. And I just want to point out an example. So for instance, we have now learned that just to cook a meal, it's a weak position. It's a servant's position. Mm. A, 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 a woman and a man of dignity should not just be seen with a pot. It seems like a weak position. Why are you just there cooking? Are you saying nobody's helping you? Whereas if you think about it, feeding your family, preparing medicines, because that's what food is supposed to be, medicines for your family, nourishing their health, understanding who should eat what at what time, saying that, no, you're not going to eat this today. I'm going to give you this. That's a position of a health practitioner. That's a, that's a position of a leader. But when that is interpreted within a broader sense where the person making 
food is seen as a as as a way or as um uh, as a servant as somebody low then it also puts the whole question the, the kitchen into questionability what is the kitchen what does it mean why is it so low why, why does that even, even make sense Ki the kitchen should actually be the highest powerful space in the in the house if you think about it because it's what sustains life mm. so i think us and, and this is where we need to be careful when we want to rise up against um uh situations that keep dominating and and disempowering us it may not be that we need to be against the role of cooking there may not be that we need to hate cooking or think of it as a low thing but we we need to be careful if we keep for instance when we say the man is the head of the house what does that even mean mm. what does the head of the house do and i want to say this let's say because some will argue that that's the african script i have a different opinion but let's just go with that for the sake of the examples that men used to be heads of the house now shouldn't you be, and 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 when people say that i will ask but why no because men must be heads of the house yeah but why no because the man is the one that must be the head of yeah but why just explain why i i i'm not even fighting i'm just saying why and there's no script there's no understanding there's no nothing and i'm thinking if somebody should be a leader of anything, isn't it because they're considerate? Mm -hmm. Isn't it because they're listening to everybody? Isn't it because they speak less and listen more? Isn't it because everybody, when they come into the room, they feel at ease. They feel, oh, I'm able to do this and that. You encourage me. You uplift me. You put me before you. Wouldn't that be the leader position if there ever was such a thing of being the head of the house? So why is the head of the house now a, a person who people fear, who people don't want to speak back to, who people become quiet in the presence of, how can that be the head of the house? Mm -hmm. And how do we know that we are grooming men to become these incredible leaders that for some reason we believe that all men just are? Mm. I'm not saying we are not capable of being leaders. I'm not saying we're not capable of being incredible people. But are we teaching boys to do that? Do they go through processes so that we can trust them with leadership? Mm. And if we don't do that as society, we can't then at the tail end of all the brokenness say, mm. ah, but you see now, you are hating women, you are violent, you are do, you are being a bad guy. Yes, and of course we should put responsibility to, to every, every individual being. I'm not saying we should just excuse it. But actually that manifestation is a mirror of us as a society. It's like we have decided that that's the kind of men that we want. That is so powerful. Um, you know, on so many levels, uh, we see it in institutions from, from a leadership perspective, uh, in government, in politics, um, in, in the home. And it's just continuing to be so disruptive and yet people are not um, realizing that there's a need for, for, for change. You know, this is not serving us anymore. Um, in fact, it never has. I'm interested to, to find out what your thoughts are around the idea of the masculine and the feminine energy being able to come together to create and how can people who are interested in looking at it from that perspective um, use this understanding to create better family structures and what does, what does it look like? 
Mm. I think, first of all, yes, we, we, we have situations and spaces and times where being a man is significant and being a woman is significant and we have particular tasks that we are expected to do. I'm trying to talk about how this has been practiced in our ancient times. Mm. What is different fr from now and then is that doing what in those situations where it was significant of a particular task to be done by a woman, it wasn't ordained or explained as this is women's work because it's nonsensical and not important and just some servant's job. It was seen as highly skilled, important work of greatness. So there was respect for that position. There was respect for that duty. It was respect for that role. And men and women would at different times have this dance of who who is leading, who is suggesting, who is taking charge, who is giving advice. It wasn't just because you are this or that gender. And I think that's what has changed so much that we now we, we, we think that as a woman, you must just be all of this forever. And you mm -hmm. must, as a man, you must just be this forever. And should you try at times to be something else or play out a slightly different um, vibration or energy of your being, it's questionable. It's not done. It's not supposed to. There's, there's a problem with you now. But. African life is flu has a lot of fluidity to it. You know, fluid has also become a problematic word, word in these times. So maybe flexible is, is better, dynamic or organic yeah. is better. It's, it's, it, it responds to different times. So yes, if our community is attacked, we are in war. Obviously, it makes sense that men would have certain roles to do. Women would have certain roles to do. But in times of peace, we, we, we have to change it around. It cannot be the same during war, during peace, when we have a lot to eat, when we have nothing to eat, when we are many, when we are few, when, when we, we are going through a spiritual change as a community. Like, so, so it's okay that men have certain roles now and a different role then and a different role then. It doesn't have to be static. And I think that's the problem we have that we lock ourselves into very static, um, gender role performances mm. and that means a lot of men spend a lot of time doubting if they are real men a lot of women also start doubting if they are real women or if the man they are with is a real man mm. and we keep having this notion of a real man a real woman as very static conforming uh, 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 ways of being we're supposed to be in a dance and you don't have to see that as a negative weak um, all over the place kind of scenario. Because when we go through grief, there are, there are special ways that women can bring and open up channels of healing into the community differently than men. And when we go through attacks and when we go through warfare and insecurity, men can open up and bring a sense of security in a different way. Not because they're better, not because they are the only ones who are important, mm -hmm. but because in their makeup as whole beings, they can open up for a certain energy to flow. Mm. And I think that's what we need to understand better, that it's not just the physical form of having the genitalia we have and the physical outlook. It's also what we embody spiritually. It's also mm. what we embody as, 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 as people who are born to serve our community and nation. Mm. So I would like us to get to a point, and I spend a lot of time with, with young men doing this work. And let me say this. I, I feel very privileged because 
I know some women are tired of men. Some women have given up on men. Some women say that men are just lost. And some are. It's not like they are completely uh, wrong. But I think it's wrong to just place one definition on everybody. Because I get to see incredible men. I have young men. I have the same age men. I have older men around me in so many different different shapes and forms, so many capabilities, so many skills, so much humbleness, so much incredible. And I think that just what life has taught me is that these changes are possible. These changes, we can enact them if we make it our priority. Mm. I think the major problem we have this time is that we are so overwhelmed by our problem that we resort to just talk about it, mm. but we don't know how to act. I think one of the major contributing factors um, is the fact that everything has been reduced to, or rather the value of everything has been reduced to money, right? So if it, yeah, if, if it doesn't translate to money, it's not worthy. It cannot be listened to. Yeah. It's not worth doing. Um, or it, it, exactly. it becomes a task that is, um, unskilled labor, for instance. You know, yeah. this is why we've also exactly. seen people not pursuing their God given talents in the arts because for a long time, Absolutely. craft making Absolutely. has been seen as something mm. that is done by people who are not book smart, who are not doing yeah. well at school. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So do you want to just expand a bit on that? Yes. I just wanted to add to what you said so beautifully right now that how monetary value and profit making has really confused us. Remember this. For a very long and significant amount of time, we, we were, our bodies were made into commodity and we were valued for the, our ability to make somebody else rich. Whether we were taken away as enslaved Africans or even if we were, were left on the continent, other people came in and decided how they can prof make profit on us. Our durability, our endurance, our ability to work on the hot sun for a long time, our ability to have many children so that they can have more people that they... You understand? this, And we carry this with us. Now women are being, sisters are being uh, advised that when you go out and look for a man, this is the type of income bracket you should look for. This is what makes a good man based on what he earns. Men are, are, feel feel inadequate because the woman is earning more than him. Who have we become? So 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 when the black body has been monetized and we have internalized that because let's be honest, when I earn a lot of money, I feel better. I think I'm more better. I think if you are a woman who I'm not desiring, I will challenge why you think you can have a relationship with me because now I've got money. You can't just come here and ask me this and ask me that. Move. You are not the woman that I'm looking for. Mm. But put me back when I have no money. I might be open to you because I'm not feeling that I can have demands. I don't feel I can request anything. I don't feel so good about myself. This is very dangerous that we even take our own self-worth from being monetized black bodies. It doesn't benefit us. It only benefits those who want us in servitude. And I think what makes it worse is the fact that the economy 
the economic system globally is not yeah. geared to support African living. So we are, Absolutely. we are bound to fail, right? Because it's not a system that True. has been created for us to thrive in. Exactly. But this is where I also want us to draw a line. Remember earlier I said that I always want us to remember the story of how we got to this point. Mm. But the other part of that coin is that I also want us to remember before everything became hectic and bad. We come from strength. We come from transformation. Our role in this world is really to uphold it, transform it and heal it. But we need to start with ourselves. We cannot, we have no business trying to heal everybody else when we can't even heal ourselves. Mm. But that's really our role on this planet. And that's why this planet also is in so much turmoil because as African people, we have sunk into such a level that we are not able to play the role that we're supposed to play in the bigger scheme. Mm. So we got some work to do. And that's mm. why we need families. That's why we need young people who can trust the elders and know that they're not trying to exploit them. That's why elders need to spend time with younger people and look for nothing else than to incise their minds and their spirit and their knowledge. Only that. Not form relationships. Not do other things that we, 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 we keep doing when we sink into our lower selves. And, and, and when we do that, we, and this is how I look at life. When I'm thinking I'm here and I know that I'm standing on the shoulders of other people that I look up to who have done incredible things in this world before me, think about two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight generations into the future. What I can do right now, I might not be able to take it to the fruition of what I wish. I may not be able to take it to the final end. But I'm doing something of significance so that the person who's coming after me doesn't have to start at the same scratch. Mm. They can start one level up. I like that. I like what you're saying because it speaks to legacy, right? And um, to raising children within the home. I've read, um, um, you know, books where it said... You know, when a child was born in the African home, the time in which they were born, the month, um, and yeah, the name they were given was symbolic mm, of the purpose you. that lie ahead of, of them. So what can you say about that? Like, cause purpose starts when we are conceived, right? Um, and before older people, our elders knew this. And that is why they gave us specific names, uh, because they knew That's there right. was a role to play within the family. Even in, in, uh, scenarios around polygamy. I know polygamy is a big thing right now for many, um, yeah. black people. But if your name was uh, for one that, uh, if you translate it, meant growing the family, I can't think of a specific name right now, it would be mm, known that sure. you, you mm. as a boy, you are most likely the one who is going to enter a polygamous uh, family set up because you are one yeah. that has to grow the family. Um, and so these exactly. meanings, you know, have been lost over time and watered down. Sure. Absolutely. And I think you have, you have explained it so beautifully. We must remember that we come from high consciousness, high intelligent life, high and deep spiritual grounding. Mm. 
I think some of us are so broken now that we, we don't even understand what it means. We can't really tap into it because it's of such magnitude that it's, it's, it's something we haven't seen in our lifetime. Mm. But as you said, there's a science of conception, of conceiving and being born into this world where elders in most of our cultures would read your coming into this world and go into a deep um, uh, meditation of what this child is here to teach us. Who are you? What do you come with? And then take the children, take the parents aside and sit down with them and say, this child means such and such. These people, this child must be nurtured like this. Make sure you don't feed this child such and such for the first two years. Like there would be a script of how you to treat this child, not just children, but this child. This child's purpose. And this is where we, I think, this is a very fundamental aspect of our culture that we often lose sight of. We, we know that we are collective people. We speak about Ubuntu and that we exist through each other. And that's true. We are a collective people. But there are also individual characteristics and purposes within that collective. But they are supposed to serve the greater good. They're not just supposed to be standalone individual beacons of power. They're supposed to live a high life that benefits many people around them. And that means that when we come out into this world, when we are born into this world, and we may be given names that makes no sense, we have not been, our parents have not been given direction on how to take care of us and how to bring out the best in us. Some of us start having these existential questions when we are in our 30s where we are supposed to be at the peak of knowing mm-hmm. knowing it. So this is why it feels so hard to wake up to all these things that are so new to you when you are 25, 30, 35, because you were actually supposed to have known them at least within your DNA and in your spiritual being from a very early stage in your life. But mm-hmm. I want to turn that around, not to just make it a sad story, to say that, you know, if we can help especially our young healers. A lot of Africans are being called to heal these days. And 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 I know sometimes it's it's becoming a thing, especially with social media and things like that. So we need to be careful. It shouldn't be just popularized. But there are a lot of young people who are called into healing. And they f- often they feel alone. Often they feel taken advantage of. Often they sense that they come into spaces that they can't fully trust. And we need to do something about that. Because these are our guides. These are the people who will lead us to a sense of liberation and strength and power. And if we allow our spaces of the Indumbas, the, 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 the healing spaces, the initiation spaces to be full of venom, full of being taken advantage of, full of other vicious spirits, we also know that we will continue to be in this mess. Mm-hmm. We need to clean up these, these sanctuary, sanctuaries of knowledge, of healing, of strength. And if we don't, I don't even want to complete that sentence. But I'm just reminding us that we can mm. and we must. It's a lot of hard work. Painful. <laughs> yeah. It's painful. It's painful. Uh, but it must be done, right? That's true. And it becomes a little bit easier when we can shape communities where because we sometimes talk about who heals the healer mm. being a healer in in an african context right now is a very lonely journey mm. yeah how how do we remedy this how do we make the african family 
a more nurturing space? How mm. do we help young parents nurture their children, um, their talents? Because we all have got something to give, to offer. We all come bearing gifts. It doesn't matter how different it is from somebody else's. How do we repair, if at all, African families? You know what, Goga? I want to say this. It is already happening. Not to the extent we need it, not with the magnitude and the, and the, and the, and the speed that we need, but something is happening. Something is changing. There is a slow transformation going on. Like I said, young people are being awakening up to their healing journeys, but they also realize that they don't have enough people who can guide them. A lot of young people are asking the right questions about their surnames, about their backgrounds, about their spiritual story. But they realize that there's not enough elders to, to guide them. So how we do this, and, and I can only, let, let me just share from my own experience. For us, the experience was when I, when me and my wife found each other and came together, one of the first things we did was to admit that we come with many colonial wounds and that the, if we don't create some spaces for continuous healing and openness and being able to be vulnerable with each other, excuse me, we will end up hurting each other. We will end up crushing each other. We cannot just trust ourselves because we like to see ourselves as good people that we will probably not do that. We've seen too many couples do it. We've seen too many families end up in a place we pray that will never happen to us. But that means we need to start doing the work before there is a problem. Mm. So from the beginning of our relationships, we did our rituals and we keep doing them to this day. We keep... um inviting elders into our lives to sit at their feet to learn we keep exchanging information we read we learn we practice we listen and we bring in the elements of song the elements of dance the elements of drums the elements of of sitting outside and looking at the sky and let it talk to us and i'm not saying i hope people don't just hear some magical story in this because we also do all the, what can I say, the ordinary stuff. We go and shop things. We grow things in our garden. We, we disagree on certain things and we end up that we, we realize we hurt each other and we need to ask forgiveness. But I'm just saying that my experience is that this is possible. And this is what, so, so we have, like I said, we have opened up our home to many young people who are not necessarily from our own bloodline and our own direct family. Um, and to some, and I'm not saying everybody must do that. It's not for everyone, but it's to the point that I think me and my wife, if we should stop doing that, a huge aspect of the meaning of life would fall out of our existence mm. because we have been called to walk a journey with many, with an extended family, with a household that keeps trying to, or keeps working at healing and restoring and becoming the powerful people that we once were. And if we can contribute, like I said, to, to, to make many of us take one step up so that the next can start on that, that, that level, I think we've done something. So I think it goes back. Everybody must be in their own reflection of what is my purpose? What am I here to do? And if you are completely confused about that, don't just guess it. 
But also don't just sit down and say, I'm going to sit here and wait for my purpose to come because I don't know it and I don't understand. I'm going to wait. No, you need to engage with life. You need to engage with situations. You need to break some boundaries and it will come to you as you walk. But be open to it and allow it to come into you. And once that happens, you also know what you should choose not to do and what you choose what you should choose to do. It doesn't mean that there's no pain in your life. It doesn't mean that everything is easy. Most probably it becomes even more complicated, mm. but you also have more strength and you have more faith and you have more hope and you have more reason to live. I mean, I come from an understanding of life where I was like, what is this life really? What's the space for me in this life? What can I really do? Um, as, as I've grown into understanding more my purpose and my being and being able to to, to be part of such an incredible family. I literally jump out of bed every morning at four o'clock. Not because things are easy, not because I have money, not because I have all these things that we are kind of brainwashed into thinking we should chase after, but there's meaningfulness. I can go to bed at night and understand why I lived mm. today. And in the African world right now, that has become quite a luxury. Mm. That is so powerful. Um, Baba, in your view, what makes the African family structure a place of spiritual existence? What, what makes it a spiritual, um, experience? Mm. I think it becomes that when we are guided into the ways of our ancestors, the understanding of life, the understanding of the cycles of life, the understanding of how to deal with conflict, deal with um, our own ego, uh, deal with our pain. And I think many of us, and I think this is why I'm not mad when young people say that I don't care about my culture. Because literally the experience of culture is that it doesn't work for them. The only thing culture does to some young people and to too many young people in our, in our communities is that they feel further oppressed. Because they cannot speak, they cannot wear this, they cannot sit there, they cannot use that, they cannot be on that. There's so many things and we fail to explain why. And we fail to allow them to experience this culture as, wow, I'm standing in my power, I'm standing in my ability, which is what, what culture is supposed to do. And when it doesn't, obviously you have very little interest in it, or at least very little joy being part of it. So we must stop this thing of thinking of culture as something we must do without understanding it. How many times have you heard people ask, so so what is that song we sing? I, I don't even remember. I don't, I'm not sure why we sing it, but mm. so we've always done it. So we must just continue. Mm. No, we must also interrogate culture. Why must we do this? What is the significance of this? Why must I bow to this, raise for this, clap my hands for that? What is the significance? If we just do things out of out of not actually we can end up harming more than we can heal. Mm. So I think it's important to understand our rituals, our ceremonies, and it's important that we grow to such a level over some generations that we can actually start transforming some of the things that we do. We, we have discussions about Lobola these days, bride wealth. And I think it's a, it's a good conversation, but it's not just a yes or no conversation. It's how do we keep um, the tradition of what Lobola was supposed to mean, meaning a contract of respect, 
of honor, of a marriage between two clans and families that you can never disrespect. You can never dishonor. And if you dare to do that, you have to face the whole venom of generations of spirits and ancestors. It's not just a divorce. It's not just that you are tired of each other. It's something much deeper. How do we create uh, what Lobola used to represent? Even if we should agree, and I don't agree now, but maybe my children will agree that we should no longer do Lobola the way we do it now. Mm. Because it has become dangerous. Something it has else. become unsafe. Mm. It has become something else. Mm. So I think if we can see the scripts and, and expect that we actually used to do very intelligent thing, because I think, I think sometimes we have allowed these oppressors to tell us our story and we believe it. Mm. We look back. I mean, most of us, if we got a chance to go into the future or go into the past, most of us will choose the future. Go into the past. Be with my ancestors. Ah, no, 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 no. There's probably no food. We're probably just dancing around bare feet. No, I don't want that. No. That's I would love see. that. I'd love that. I think <laughs> Me my, too. Let's go. my my experience with my journey and like rediscovering who I am and it's an ongoing experience has made me feel so held, so empowered, you know, so loved. It's really been such a nurturing experience. It's really mm, been mm. incredible. One that has also allowed me to stop seeking for validation externally. And yeah. it has brought an amazing change to my life and what I believe I'm capable of doing. Because like you said earlier, yeah. when you know mm. that you stand on the shoulders of greatness, then mm. things almost cease to become impossible because yeah. you know the exactly. lineage that you are part of. Yeah. Mm. Thank Absolutely. you so much for having this conversation with me. I hope uh, we'll soon be able to engage in person. I really love the work that Absolutely. you know you've been doing and continue on the journey. We need more elders like yourself guiding you us so and preparing the path for us. Thank you so much and continue to the work that you do. Uh, you hold a platform that is so significant to our people and you're using a format that most of us grew up not even knowing was possible. So thank you for breaking new boundaries and bringing in new ways of seeing us. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. I truly hope you learned something new, felt something and were inspired to cultivate a more conscious life. I'd love to connect with you, hear your thoughts and story. Please feel free to reach out. Our contact details can be found on monsem.co.za. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.